Hey everybody, welcome to The Bridge. I'm so excited that you are here today. I am pumped that we get to have one of my good friends here today to bring the word for us, Chris Green. Chris and I served together at the Summit Church for a number of years on staff. Chris still serves there as one of the pastors and is doing incredible ministry when it comes to the areas of discipleship and racial reconciliation. Chris has been the most transformative person in my life personally when it comes to the conversation of walls fall down. He has an amazing family, four lovely children, a beautiful wife, Erica. I am super excited that he is with us here today to continue our series, Walls Fall Down. So church, would you join me and give a big Bridge Church welcome for Chris Green. It's called, called Walls Fall Down. Um, and he got a chance to talk to you guys about, um, about unity um, and not uniformity, right? Because uniformity would mean that we're all the same. And God did not call of all of us to be the same. He called all of us to be one. We should never get those two things mixed up. But when we talk about unity at, at the church, we understand that the reason why we're united is because Jesus uh, vertically came down to earth to reconcile us and make us right, then gave us a ministry of reconciliation, and we should reflect that same ministry horizontally, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what it means to, to be united. When we're doing it well, when we're doing horizontal reconciliation well, we call it unity. And when we're doing it poorly, the Bible calls it division. So go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, if you haven't there. Um, uh, Pastor Sean read that earlier, and, um, and I, I know in the last service he read it, and, he, and as he was reading, he was like, man, this thing is just preaching. You can just read this right here, and you're good. I don't even, sometimes I don't even know why I'm up here, right? So I, but let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your people. I thank you for your word, Lord, and um, I just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, that you do what you do best. God, all of us that stand here right now that know you, we're here because your spirit convicted us of our sin. And you brought us closer to yourself, Lord. You opened up the scriptures and helped us understand it. Thank you for the counsel that your spirit brought. But we also thank you that your spirit is here to help us and to comfort us. Lord, so I pray right now, Lord, that I may decrease, that you may increase, and that you speak expressly to your people through your word by your Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and spill the beans. I'm going to talk about our unity today and what it depends on according to Ephesians chapter 4. So these three things, our unity depends on this. One, distancing ourselves from our old identity. All right. Secondly, embracing our new identity. And then thirdly, I'm going to talk about the theology that's behind our unity or, or the theology of our unity. So if we're to do a self-assessment of our communion or the way we do community with one another in our friendships and our marriages and our parenting and our jobs and all these different places, here's the question we need to ask. Am I building, am I building up the people around me? Am I really building them up? Am I tearing them down? Am I indifferent or am I building them up? In verse 29, verse 29, you see in verse 29 it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up. And this is actually the same verse. In, uh, we see the same thing in uh, verse 12 earlier in this chapter when it says the reason why God gave apostles, teachers, preachers, evangelists. The whole reason why we do it is to build one another up. My, my primary job as a pastor 
is I should be walking around. I should be equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. I should be building you guys up. That, that's what I'm called to do. That's what we're all called to do. So when we look at this word, building up, it says, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. This is where we get the, the word edifice from. It's the Greek word, okadome. And it, and it means edification. And, we, and, and if you look at the word edification, it's where we get the word edifice. And an edifice is a building. And, by, and, in, and in God's word, he's, we, we learn that we are actually God's building. So what does the construction look like? What does it look like? Are we constructive in our talk? Are we constructive in our actions towards one another? How do we really treat one another? Or are we divisive? Are we destructive with our words? Are we tearing one another down? And when there is division, who or what is the culprit? Well, that's what this passage is getting into. Have you ever seen a building demolition before? Have you ever seen um, when they bring a wrecking ball in and they tear it down? Or better yet, one of the, the greatest images that I can remember and is one of the most horrific Im- images I can remember is 9-11 when we saw those planes flying to the Twin Towers. But what was so amazing about this is that what took years to build came down in a matter of, of, of minutes. It wasn't even an hour when we saw both of those buildings come crumbling down. It's just so crazy how much goes into building something up and how easy and how fast we can tear something down. It's just like the vandalization that I saw that happened here several weeks ago. I remember just being, um, being at home, and I remember my wife saying, you know, did you, did you see what happened down, down at, uh, at the Bridge Church? I was like, what are you talking about? And I go, and I look, and I see the vandalization that happened, and my, my heart sank, and I was like, what in the world? Why, why would someone do this? But you know what? They did it. It was real quick, they, and, they, and they left the, the property, but it did a lot of damage. It's so quick and easy that people can destroy something. Now, here's the thing that's crazy. Everybody came together. We were able to, you know, paint the building and get that together. But what this is talking about in the Word, that was somebody from the outside. That was somebody that wasn't part of the body. How much worse is it when we vandalize each other in the body of Christ? How easy can we do it? How fast can we do it? So we know that there's a lot of division right now anyway. There's, we see division everywhere. We see division in our communities, in our neighborhoods. You know, a lot of our neighborhoods are still segregated. A lot of our school districts are still segregated. Country clubs are still segregated. Uh, churches, unfortunately, are, are still segregated. And politics is Democrats and Republicans and independents and libertarians. And even in our homes, there, there's a lot of division. In sports, there's Red Sox and Yankees and Cowboys and Redskins and the illustrious University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, uh, Tar Heels, and then those devils. I mean, it's, it's a lot of division. I'm just saying it's a lot of division going on right now. I'm not, I'm not salty about the loss of the night at all. All right? But we, you know what we never talk about? We never talk about the fact that there is a lot of division out there, but we never talk about this, this little peculiar unity that we have as people that are sinners, where we all have the same address and the same zip code and we all do belong to the same country club and have a lot of the same political and philosophical leanings. It's in our sin nature. It's in our sin nature. 
We even had the same father at one point, and we'll learn about that in a little, a little bit later. But every time you look at the cross, every time you look at the cross, which is not something that, that's beautiful at all, what it produced was beautiful, but the, but the image of a naked Savior that never sinned, beaten and disfigured, all for people that didn't deserve it. All because our sins placed him there. That should remind you of your sin nature and how serious we should take our sin nature every time we look at the cross. So I just want to encourage you today. This old self that we have, it is very important that we distance ourselves from that. Let's look at what it says in Ephesians 17, why we should distance distance ourselves from our old selves. Look at verse 17. It says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And when it says, when he's talking about the Gentiles, he's talking about us. Okay, so every time you see that, you can put us right there. In the futility of their minds, of our minds, we are darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to our hardness of heart. They become callous. And if you know anything about callous, if you ever had a callous in your hand or callous on your feet, you don't have any feeling there. It's so hard, you can stick a needle in it, you won't even be able to feel it. This is what it's talking about. It's callous. And they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So here we're reminded of how ugly we used to be or how ugly we are. I mean, you know, the average American, we don't, we don't view ourselves this way, do we? I mean... When people sign your yearbook, um, what did they put in there? They, they put stuff like, never change, right? Always be you, right? They, Let the haters hate, you accelerate. They put, you know, we putting crazy stuff in there, you know, because we were never the haters. We were always good people. You know, you know, nobody ever wrote in your yearbook, man, you got a poor attitude. You would never get a job. You're so quick to be angry all the time, you know. We always write all the good stuff because... We don't, we, don't, we don't realize that in this body coexists the ability to be able to do some good things, but a monster that lives on the inside. It's like the Hulk. So when I see that coexist sign, that's what I think about. I think about my sin nature that's in here battling with this, this other nature that God has called me to have. That's why in verses 17 through 19, it's a recap of Romans chapter 1. It talks about the futility of our thinking. When we don't worship God and you don't adore God, your thinking becomes senseless, purposeless, and you just, you ignore him. You don't think to, to adore him. You, you, you become insensitive and unresponsive. And here's what's worse. You lack remorse when there's sin. That's why in verse 18, it, it, it talks about that, that callousness that I was talking about earlier. And, and here's the thing. The Holy Spirit, what he does, again, he convicts the world of sin. That, that's one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit. He convicts you of sin. But because our flesh is deceitful, it likes to tell us, oh, no, that's, just, that's not who you are. Our flesh likes to tell us that that's guilt. But God is trying to show you where you're separated from him. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is not there to guilt you. The Holy Spirit is there to help you. That's why in verse 19, when you don't get that help, things start to manifest. Things start to manifest. One of the things it says are all these sensuality. 
all these sexual desires. It's no question that our world is, is inundated on every show, on everything, with just sex all over the place. Porn is normal. It, you know, people, uh, it, the addictions are off the charts. It, all kinds of impurity. Th- that's the manifestation of not worshiping God, not adoring God. It's senseless thinking. This is where we are. And then it becomes cyclical because then it turns into greed. And if you know anything about greed, greed is just, greed can't be satisfied. It can't. So we keep going back to it. And, we, and we're not getting satisfaction. Then we go back into it again. And we're not getting satisfaction. That's greed is never satisfied as a continual lust. Those are the manifestations of the callous heart or the futility of the thinking. So then when we look at verse 20 through 21, which contrasts verses 17 through 19, it says this. This is not the way you learn Christ. Or this is not the way you came to know Christ. What way is he talking about? He's talking about a way where there was a complete break with your former way of life. Now, what I love right here in verse 21, this is the first first time in Ephesians and the only time in Ephesians when he says, as the truth is in Jesus, where he only uses Jesus' name right here by itself as opposed to saying our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I feel like Paul is trying to help the reader understand um, and identify with the earthly Jesus. The earthly Jesus, the Jesus who was tempted like us, the Jesus who was betrayed like us, the Jesus that, that bled like us and, and that laughed and fellowship with other people like us and that cried like us and that experienced all these things, yet he did it without sin. Because Jesus is how we model living this thing out. See, church, the way you learn Christ, it means this. It means that Jesus is the lesson and he's the teacher. See, the old identity teaches us the exact opposite. It replaces Jesus as the lesson and the teacher and takes and puts us there in our experiences. Think about this for a minute. Most of your leanings that are, that are off and that are not right and that lead you into temptation are based on your experience, the things that you experience. That's where you form those things from. But Jesus wants to be the lesson for you his experience is what we should be looking at that teaches us. And, and don't get me wrong, because I, 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 I know this is tough, because sometimes when I talk to people, and they're like, well, that, that's my truth. That, that's my experience. That, that's what I had. And I'm like, I don't deny that. I think that's true, all that you had there. But your experience is deceitful. Your experience that you experience, unfortunately, you, li- you, you, you were born into a fallen world, and it's trying to do something. So, That's why Paul pleads with us in verse 22, which gets to our second side of this. This is why you have to embrace your new identity. Because as long as you stay stuck there in that old mode, there's going to be turmoil in your life. But look, why why does he say it? Listen to what he says right here. Verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through what kind of desires? Deceitful desires. Deceitful experiences. it's deceitful, it's lying to you, and and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So what we see here are three simple steps to embrace our new identity. I love it because it's just right here in the Word. All I'm doing is trying to, 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 to show you guys what it is, but it's right there. It says this, put off the old me, renew your mind, 
and put on the new me. So let's look at this really quickly. Let's look at those three things. Put off the old me. So in verses 17 through 19, it talked about what was wrong with us. But in verses 22, it tells us why, why we should do it. Now, let me tell you this. First of all, you just need to understand this. The old you is a liar. Every time you sin against God, you're not only offending God, but you're also offending yourself. Because sin is a lie. How do we know it's a lie? Because in Genesis 3, when God created this earth, when there was no brokenness, when everything was right, when all the relationships that we had, even between us and the earth, between us and God, between us and one another, between us and ourselves, when all those relationships were, were all har- harmonious, sin came in and destroyed all that. How do we know this? Because God said, hey, Adam, Eve, don't eat of this fruit. If you eat it, you're going to die. You're going to destroy yourself. It's a lie. Don't fool with it. Don't have anything to do with it. And what does the devil say in Genesis 3, 4? You will surely not die. And ever since, sin's been in us and has been tricking us and lying to us ever since. That's why Jesus came back around in John 8 to remind us of something, to give us an even deeper look into something spiritual behind Satan. When he says this, he says, you belong to your father. John 8, John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. This is what we're dealing with when we play with sin. We're messing with our old father. We're messing with the person that, that murdered our, our, our humanness from the beginning. And just as a point of application, just to lighten things up for a minute, I mean, it's nasty to put on dirty clothes, right? I mean, I hope it's nasty to put on dirty clothes. Everybody, y'all should be laughing real loud right now, uh, you know? Especially the underwear, like, you know, you don't, they don't have no grace period, all right? If it get too bad, you need to throw them away, all right? But we don't have to convince people not to be wearing funky, dirty, nasty clothes. You, you take them off every day. We, 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 we wash them. It, there has to, it has to go through a cycle. It has to, to be, be renewed, right? That's what you do with old clothes. I, and, and the thing is this. We're put, talking about put, taking off our old self. And I, I remember talking to my son the other day. My son, I have three daughters. Um, and, and one only begotten son. Um, <laughs> and my son, my son gave his life to Christ when he was younger. Um, and, you know, he struggles just like all of us struggle. Um, but, you know, we got into a conversation because he's 17, about to turn 18. I gave my life when I was 18 uh, to the Lord. I'm 42 now. And I praise God that he's sustained me and saved me. Without, you know, not without mistakes and not without falling. But he was just trying to explain, like, how hard it is for him being a young man, trying to, you know, live his life for Christ and all that. And I just told him, I said, it's hard. I said, it's hard for all of us, but you need to understand something. Like, you, me dying to myself every day is, is <laughs> this is something I'm doing for the rest of my life, son. I'm, I'm, I'm still doing it now. In fact, let me, let me help you understand this. Because my old self is deceitful and decaying and, 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 is, and is trying to take me out, 
I'm much worse if I fall into my flesh at 42 than I would have been when I was 18. Because if it's true that my flesh is continuing to die and my flesh is continuing to decay, my flesh is much worse at 42 than it was when I was 18. Somebody say, ain't no fool like an old fool. So, so, I, so I was letting him understand. I was trying to help him understand. I want us to understand that too. You know, I thank God for my maturity and how I've grown in Christ. But I know that it's all him. And I'm depending on him. And I'm having to renew my mind every day because if I, for one second, decide to, to, to say, flesh have your way, it's going to be ten times worse than it was many, many years ago. That's why we look at verse 2 and it says, renew your mind. Renew your mind. That's something that's, on. notice the ongoing nature of that phrase. Renew is a present participle. It means you got to continually do it. Romans 12, 12 says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In 2 Corinthians 4.16, it says this, so we, do, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So, a- application point, how do you get somebody to begin to think differently, right? Anybody that's a parent, you're like, if you can show me how to do that right now, I will be blessed and highly favored. Because we're always trying to get our kids to think different, right? We're trying to get it. Why you keep doing this, you know? And that's us, right? But how do you get somebody to think different? The first step is you got to get their thinking to change. You, first step is that that person has to understand my thinking is flawed, all right? So now the plug for Iron Tribe and, and, um, and, I, and uh, CrossFit and all that good old stuff. But just to show you how it played out in my life, I mean, when you, so the first thing I got to understand is that my, that my thinking is off, right? So the first thing I got to say is that, you know, I'm fat and I need to be in shape, all right? <laughs> Used to have six-pack, now I got a keg, all right? <laughs> so first thing I got to do is admit that, right? The next thing they do in, in Iron Tribe is that they give you a sheet of paper and they say, all right, you need to change what you're eating. Your diet needs to change. That's part of it is that, you know, now you got to eat vegetables almost with every meal. I'm like, how do I eat vegetables in the morning? I, only, I ain't used to that. <laughs> what are we going to do about that, you know? So, but, but your meal changes, and then you start looking at, like, oh, so my diet is changing. Spiritually, your diet is going to have to change. You've been consuming crap for a long time. You need to get in your word, and you need to understand what it says, and you need it morning, afternoon, and at night. You need, you need to make sure your diet is right. But that's just part of it. That's, that's just getting your mind right and doing all that. But then you actually got to exercise, right? So then you get there, and I'm at Iron Tribe, and we're doing all these stuff, stuff I ain't never heard of before. It's crazy. And I remember the first time I went, me and my wife came back. After I ate a whole bottle of ibuprofen and asked them to inject it into my arm, IV-wise, I said, why are my legs still burning at 3 a.m.? My legs burn all night. I was like, this is not good. You know, so then you, you know, you go back, check this out, you go back. So not only have you changed your mind and, and, and you changed your diet up, but now you put yourself around people that encourage you and say, I know you're hurting right now. I know that's crazy right now, but you need to keep going. They edify you. They build you up. They got hype music on in there the whole time while you're trying to do all this stuff. They're doing everything in their ability to keep you in because they know you're going to need to be encouraged because this, this ain't like your old way of doing things. 
That's what we're supposed to do, church. Renew our minds. That's the goal. That's when you learn that quiet time is not punishment. It's not boring time. It's survival. I need this to make it. So thirdly, put on a new me. Put on a new me. So what's so different about putting on a new me than, than what we did? It seemed like we ought to be good after we put off the old me and renewed our mind. Well, what's interesting about this process is God's role in it. Because there are a lot of other faiths out there where people have done that. They've, they've put off their old self. They don't act like they used to act. And, and they, they have a new mindset. And you meet people sometimes with different faiths. And I've met some Muslim brothers that that, that was the case with them. And, that, and that, you know, and I, obviously they've changed and they're different. But putting on the new us is different if you're a believer, if you're a Christian. Because we see God's handiwork involved. Because in verse 24, we see three words that, that say a lot about what we believe. First, we see created in the likeness of God. Anytime you see the word create, you need to pay close attention to it in the Bible because that's one of those attributes that only God possesses. Nothing has ever been created on this earth other than my God. Even scientists say matter can't be created or destroyed. All we do is innovate what's already here. So anytime you see creation, and even when you see the word new in the Bible, it's the word kainos, which means something that has never been seen before, something that is totally different. That's why when the Bible says, if you accept Christ, the new has come and the old is gone, regeneration is something that is brand new. So anybody in this place, if you gave your life to Jesus, the world has never seen anything like that before. Don't you ever underestimate the power of Jesus in your life. He is creating us in his likeness, and in his image. First of all, you see that. Secondly, you see this word true righteousness, as if there's some righteousness out there that's not true, because there are some people that think they're in right standing with God. That's what righteousness is, to be in right standing with God, that aren't in right standing with God, because righteousness with God is not something you can earn. It's something that God declares over you, all right? So anybody here that's righteous is because Jesus said, I made them righteous. Because of their faith in me, you're righteous. So, so you don't have to prove it from being good. It's not about being morally good. So tr trust me, I, and I say this over and over again. We're here today not because we came to be some good moral, good people. We're here today because we were some dead people. And we needed to be made alive through Christ. Because Jesus is not an idea. He's a person. All right, the Holy Spirit is a person that we can grieve that we're going to see here in a minute. But then we also see this word holiness. Holiness. Holiness means you'll be, you've been called out by God. God is holy. That means he's other. There's nothing like him. We have never seen anything like God. There's no one that is like our God. Who can defeat our God? Nobody. That's why when we say that, I'll search the mountain high, search the valley low, but there's nobody like our God. That's what holiness is. There's angels that all they can do when they look at God is say, holy, holy, holy. And God said, be holy because I'm holy. You're like, well, how can we do that? It got to be him. He has to give us that righteousness. He has to make us holy. So that's what God is doing when he says that. This is what I'm doing when, I, when, I'm, when I'm telling you to embrace your new identity. You can be holy. You are the church. You are the called out ones here in Wilmington. When people look at you, they should say, that ain't like everything else. That's some other stuff over there. And it brings God glory. It's just like, I mean, if, if, if God, uh, if, if there, let's just say, for instance, there's an athlete that got a pair of shoes that's real faulty, all right? 
that when they step, this, the, 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 the shoe busted out, right? If that happened, that person would be extremely excited if somebody said, hey, man, I got a pair of shoes. Every time you play basketball, you can put these shoes on, and you're going to be good to go. That's what God has done for us. And, and that person, if they put those shoes on, they're going to put those shoes on, you ain't got to tell them to go out and play basketball or how, you know, go out there and just do it. They were like, thank you, I'm putting these shoes on, and I'm going to dunk on everybody I see. All right? And that's what we should be doing as Christians. God has given us this. He's given us a new identity. He's given us a new mind. So you need to put that on. You need to embrace that and go out and do good works that reflect him. Amen? Amen. So why should we embrace this newness? All right? Look at verse 25. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood. Now, this is how it all, how it plays out practically. Watch this. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one of another. Be angry. Be angry. Be angry. For some of y'all, that was your favorite verse until you kept reading, right? <laughs> and you're like, be angry. I like that. That Bible, that's some good stuff. Be angry and do not sin. Like, oh, snap. <laughs> do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. It says, let the thief. So if you're thieving, no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So we embrace the newness that we have because it maintains the unity that we have in Christ. There's something that is implied here. Your sin, my sin, our sin impacts the people around us. When you steal, it impacts people around you. When you're angry, it impacts the people around you. When you're lustful, it impacts the people around you. Yes, your horizontal relationships impact the unity of Christ. Don't ever forget this. Our sin tears down the body of Christ. So if you're here today and your sin is unchecked and you're okay with your sin, you need to understand that right now you're making it very difficult for us to be united here at this church. Verses 26 through 27, it says, um, that be angry passage. I think it's very interesting here because um, anger is necessary. Righteous anger is necessary. Because isn't it funny, like in the middle of him kind of rebuking Paul, trying to help him see all the division that's going on because of all the sin is, he says be angry in the middle of that. The reason why he says be angry is this. Righteous anger produces unity. So here's the thing. If you ever cursed anybody out before, or if you ever been cursed out, one thing that didn't happen is y'all say, oh, man, thanks for the encouragement. I feel so close to you right now. We're just, we're just real cool, you know. Even if you're right, okay, even if you're right about what you're talking about, righteous anger should actually produce unity. We saw Jesus get angry. Because I don't know what you call it when you walk into a temple where people are selling and buying stuff, which is not anything wrong with selling and buying. And in fact, they were selling and buying things so they could present sacrifices in the temple. But it was normally not there. They normally did it outside of the temple. Okay? So that was just about, not, not about what, it was about where, where they were doing it. And he went in there, turned the tables over, ran them dudes out. Somehow he took time with his carpentry skill, made a whip, and 
like chasing these dudes out of there. And, they, you know, and, they, and the disciples were like, yo, his, his deal for the kingdom is, wow, it was righteous anger. But what did he say? What did he say? He says, you made this a house of den of robbers, but this should be a house of prayer for all nations, all ethnos, the Gentiles. That's what that was about. So what Jesus was doing, his anger led to them understanding the unity that they would have. The same unity that we're talking about right here in Ephesians chapter 4. The unity that God would bring the Jews and the Gentiles together. That's what righteous anger should do. Righteous anger is when us as pastors have to do some of the hardest work we have to do when we have a person that's unrepentant in the church, a person that does not want to repent of their sins. And we have to, we have to say, hey, brother, you know, you need, you need to, you, you call yourself a Christian. You need to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ. Are you going to do it? And, they, and, they're, and they're, if they're bucking against it, we bring one or two witnesses. Where there's two or three gathered in my name, I'll be there among you. That's the appropriate use of that verse because we're getting ready to do something that's very difficult. And Jesus said, I will be there with you when you have to kick them out of the church. Because we got to kick you out because we got to re- maintain this unity in here. If you call yourself a brother, then you repent. That's what you do. That's what he did. Paul said, I already passed judgment on y'all because y'all allowed this person to be in here doing all this stuff, causing all this division, doing all these things, and he doesn't even want to repent. He he doesn't even say he's a brother. And then Paul says, give him over to the devil. Listen, even in that, give him over to the devil so that on the day of judgment, he can come back. So even in that, the whole goal is that he would be united with God. So righteous anger leads to that kind of unity. We should be building one another up. We can't resurrect the wall that Jesus has uh, torn down already. You know, one of the other things, just a a mode of encouragement, as we try to immerse ourselves with the information, one of the best ways we do it, and we did it great here at the beginning of the service, we sang songs to each other. You know that the Bible says that in Colossians 3, 16, it says, says this, it says, Teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It says sing to one another. Now, listen, we always do sing to God, right, vertically. But in this case, it said sing to one another. That means I, I should be able to look at my brother in the eye and I ought to be able to sing this song to my brother or my sister because it's, I'm singing the word of God and hopefully it should teach you. You know, because songs, even songs you don't like, they get in your head because you listen to them over and over and over again. And I remember as a young Christian, one of the songs I listened to was about the tongue and how dangerous that tongue was because we often use our tongue um, to terrify and crucify one another. And we should be using our tongue to testify and edify one another. So I, I remember this guy, you know, when I was young at this time, and this is a, a rapper that I used to listen to. And this is what he said. This is how he broke it down in the song. He said, out of the whole body, the tongue causes the most trouble, the downfall of most couples, the result of most scuffles. Wired jaws and broke knuckles. Increase the divorce rate unless I love you. The tongue, tamed by none, a loose cannon from within, driven by the curse of sin. Bless God in the same breath, curse again. No one's exempt, no matter what church you're in. We're all guilty. Because of the tongue, we're all filthy. Our mouths sinned against the will of the Christ. We all killed them. I would be a fool to tell you that talk is cheap. Could cost you your behind if you talk slick in these streets. All right? That, that was... That was Ty Banks in 06, 2006. And it was, I used to have my son listen to that song, talking about, he was just 
all his brother was doing was expounding on James chapter 1, James chapter 2, as he broke this down. So let, let me just encourage you that when you use your mouth, this corrupt talk is very important for us to understand because there's no such thing as a slip of a tongue. There's no more than a slip of a tongue than a bullet from your heart. I can't speak French because I don't have French in my mind. I haven't studied French. The only way I can slip up and say French is if I have French down in my mind and in my heart, right? I'm not going to slip up and go parlez-vous français, all right? That's not, that's not what's going to happen. That's why your mind has to be renewed um, before your mouth does, okay? That's how you know you're growing and maturing in Christ. That's why we see to the thief, what, what is the thief told to do? Change your mind. You don't have to steal anymore. Why? Because in Christ you understand that, first of all, this is not your stuff. You don't own it anyway. It's stewardship. Everything is God's. And, not, and, and when you understand that everything is God, that'll help you understand that you need to share. All right? So he tells the thief, stop stealing, get a good job, and share. Which means that all of us that are already Christians should be sharing anyway. Because when we share, it probably lessens the likelihood of somebody stealing stuff in the first place. And the destructive speakers, stop tearing each other down. This is not how we speak to people. It says we speak to people with grace. That's why even on social media, a lot of times when we get, quote, unquote, righteous, have righteous anger on social media, who, who are you building up? Who are you building up? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. So before you send that tweet, and my wife said this the other day, she was just like, when we look at our tweets and our Facebook messages, and we look at this, and we, and we go back and just look at the long history of it, ask ourselves, who, who, who did I build up with this? And first of all, who were you called to build up with that? So we got to be careful about this corrupt talk. So though our sins tear down the body, our acts of righteousness should build the body up. When we're acting like God and when we're uh, moving it in, in the way that God has created us to be, the world should look at us and be like, man, that is something different that is going on there. Look at the unity that those people have with one another. So this is the last section, our theology of unity. Now, when you see this word theology, I don't want you to get all tied up and like, oh, man, why we got to get all that deep about theology and all that stuff. Theology is simply this. Theology is a study of the nature of God. Everybody in this room is a theologian. You know, because sometimes people like to use that slight, and they say, I ain't no theologian, but, you know, no, all of us are theologians, because here's the thing. Everything you say and everything you believe reveals in your heart what you really believe about God. So you, you have some type of theology. The question is, is it the right theology? All right? So in Psalms 14, 1, even atheists have, have theology. You're like, how is that? They don't even believe in God. Well, the Bible says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. So there you go. You got foolish theology right there in atheism, all right, because that's what they believe. So what we want to do is we want to understand what this passage is saying about the nature of God. Look at verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So a few things to unpack first. First, some of y'all didn't know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. 
We don't talk about that much. This is an idea that we saw happening all throughout the Old Testament as well. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? It means to, that word grieve in the Greek means to, to, to cause severe mental or emotional distress, vex, to irritate, to offend, to insult. The question is, why would we want to grieve the Spirit of God when the Spirit of God is what draws us to God? The Spirit of God is what gives us comfort. The Spirit of God is who prays for you when you don't even know what to pray through deep groanings. This is what the Spirit of God does. It's almost, it's silly if you think about it for a moment. It's like, it's, it's like punching your bodyguard. It, it's, like, it's, it's like trying to smack the person that's building your house. That, that, the person that has protected you and sealed you to the day of redemption. Why would we want to do that to the Holy Spirit? Well, first we need to understand that's what is happening. That the Holy Spirit is a person. We believe in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God the Spirit, we need to stop treating God the Spirit like an it. He's a he that has feelings. And when you understand that your sin impacts a God that has feelings, maybe it would change your mindset when you go and you start to do things that don't line up with God's word. That's why in verse 32, it tells us to put on these three things, kindness, benevolence. It says be tenderhearted. Be tenderhearted. What does that mean? It means to have compassion. Christians, we're different because we have compassion. We don't just have pity. We don't just have sympathy or empathy. Remember, Jesus modeled this, okay? So you say, what's the difference, Chris? Well, you know, well, pity is when you, you acknowledge that somebody's suffering. Sympathy is that you care about people when they suffer. Empathy is that you feel people suffering. All those things are good things. But compassion is, I want to relieve your suffering. That's the difference. When Jesus looked out and he saw all the people starving, they couldn't eat, it says he looked at them and he had compassion. Which means it wasn't just, I see what's happening, I feel what's happening, all this messed up, look at that. I'm going to relieve their suffering. I'm going to feed these people. And not only am I going to feed them a meal, I'm going to let this be a sign that I'm the bread of life. That's what Jesus Christ did in our lives. We're, we're people that should be compassionate, especially towards one another in the household of faith, but also in the world. We should show forgiveness and show mercy. But this, is, this, gets, this gets to the heart of it, and we'll end on this note. It says, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. If your theology is twisted, your relationships with people will be twisted as well. One thing that we have to understand is the body of Christ, that our identity is based on grace. Our identity is based on the fact that everybody here that, that, that say they love Jesus, you're forgiven people. All of us are forgiven. My position is that I should have been held guilty of that crime, but I was exonerated. I should not have been acquitted for the things that happened to me. No one should have gave me immunity. There shouldn't be any clemency at all. I should not be pardoned for my sin. But Jesus took my place on Calvary and gave me a new identity as a forgiven person. But am I walking around like a forgiven person or am I walking around like I'm entitled and I'm supposed to have this? We are first sinners, then sin again. If you ever twist that order up, it changes your approach and how you do ministry, and how you do relationships with everybody. 
Listen, all of us were born into sin before anybody ever sinned against us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, if someone else sins and it impacts you because it will and it does, I'm not negating that, but I'm just wanting you to understand that even before that happened, your position with God was already offensive. That's why Jesus, in his grace and mercy, had to vertically come down from heaven, humble himself to become a human, put himself in our place to die on our behalf, to live a life that we couldn't live and die a death that we deserve to die, and put us in right relationship with God. That's why he had to do it. If you believe that happened first and that this didn't happen first, you didn't have horizontal relationship with God first. First, you had to get the vertical right. And then that impacted your horizontal. But if you believe that you were right with God before he did this, it throws off all your relationships, how you treat people. You need to understand that first, first, you're a sinner. Then you are sinned against. Would you pray with me? Father, there are people on the sound of my voice today that have not accepted you as Savior, but you drew them here by your Spirit. Father, I pray, Lord, right now that they would surrender to you, Lord. The brokenness that they face, the hardships that they face, the inability to defeat the sin in their life that they face, you came, Lord to save us and to redeem us from all of that. So, God, I pray for them right now. God, just as you saved all of us and you saved many of us, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would save them. Give them the next steps that they need, Lord, to come to you, Father. And for my family that is here, Lord, forgive us, Lord, when we get very comfortable in our old selves, when we allow our sin nature to cause division in your church. Jesus, we know that you love your bride, that you went away to prepare a place for your bride, and we pray, Father, that we would represent you well to one another and to those outside of our churches. God, we pray for, you. We pray for those that are here under the sound of my voice. God, we trust you and we believe you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your word. In your name we pray. Amen.
four stations up front, two in the back. I do include hot sink and, and my fat left corner. The three center bits of me, not everybody will 